hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Trans kids and their parents are under attack in America today. Couple that with navigating finances for trans families, it can be a daunting task. You're listening to Queer Money episode number 454, and today we're joined by one of the founders of Modern Husbands, of which we're board members, and host of the Modern Husbands podcast, Brian Page. Brian shares insights onto what it's like raising trans kids in America today. Brian's a National Educator of the Year by the Milken Foundation and Ohio Department of Education, a CNN Money Hero, a CE Forbes Award winner, and a former working member of the U.S. President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability. And most of all, he is an ally for the LGBT community. So let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome, Brian Page, to the podcast. We're looking forward to a very meaty discussion with you today. Likewise, fellas, I'm really excited about this conversation. Thanks for having me on. Sure, sure thing. A very important and timely conversation. David and I talk a lot about LGBTQ issues and we talk a lot about trans issues, but we ourselves personally don't have a lot of trans people in our lives. We have a couple of, of acquaintances that we do connect with uh, regularly, but we definitely don't have um, any trans children in our lives. And we don't think that our much of our audience does either. So with your experience in being a financial educator and actually working with trans families to help navigate the financial nuances of being parents of trans children in America today, no doubt you have a lot of experience in what they're going through on a more day-to-day basis, being parents of trans children in America today. So we we're kind of talking a little bit before the episode started recording. It was only maybe in, a, in adulthood or, or in years that you were actually a teacher that you started to become familiar with trans folks. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of an experience, understanding of what your journey was, getting to know who, the trans community and maybe even the LGBTQ plus community as a whole? Sure. Yeah. So like you said, I, I, I was a former school teacher. I taught personal finance and, and economics in high school for, for 15 years and, and really enjoyed it. And uh, one of my later years teaching, there was a, one of our students was, was trans. She was, her sex at birth was, was male. She was a trans girl. And at that time, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. And, you know, it was explained to me and I just, Frankly, I don't, you know, people are who they are. It doesn't really impact kind of like how I see things. I just, a child's a child and you just want to be, you know, supportive. And, you know, the child just didn't have supportive parents at home. Well, the opposite of supportive parents to home. And it was kind of like a human being issue to me. So for example, I bought the, the child doesn't listen to this podcast, so they're not going to know. I, I contributed to this kind of pass through fund to buy their prom dress because they didn't have the money to buy a prom dress. So at that time, like none of this had been politicized. It just was, you know, a human being issue. And when you're, when you're a teacher, like, you know, the kids and you know, they're hurting and like, there's this idea that somehow people are, like, teachers are indoctrinating students to become trans or something stupid. And, you know, you just, you know, when you're a teacher and you, you know, you care about your students and things are like clearly in your face and obvious, like this kid, you know, really needs 
need, need some help. You just kind of, you know, you, you pitch in. But, you know, since that point, it's been heavily politicized. Fortunately, I haven't been a classroom teacher from that point. I, it would be really challenging to, to handle. But my relationships with the trans community have evolved since that point, in part because there's a group that I you know, meet with monthly where we discuss, you know, kind of the financial implications of working through certain state laws that are passed and how you know, like those manifest into their lives and what they could do about it. And then so for me, it's providing context of personal finance, like the considerations they should be making. And then I had a you know extremely close friend who has a, a trans child and I was like their outlet for just having conversations about what it was like to go through the process to have a trans child that came out when they were like 13 years old. And so, you know, between both being a teacher and then meeting monthly with people in in three different states other than mine that are going through challenging laws, two, two states of which they're challenging laws when there might be financial implications. And then my close friend, I've had a lot of experience just kind of understanding, you know, what it's like to try to support raising a trans child. Brian, you yourself are not a member of the LGBT community, right? No, no. Right. So what state were you in when you first experienced this with a student of yours? Ohio, which has not passed, to my knowledge, any of the you know pretty destructive laws right. that have been passed in other states. Right. First of all, I just want to applaud you for for seeing this as a human being issue and and caring enough and at the same time not for lack of a better way of saying it freaking out and using that fear as a as a way to harm other individuals but rather to mm-hmm. listen and understand and and learn and then in what you're doing today is helping other people is amazing so we really appreciate that as a, I guess we might want to say you're an honorary member of the LGBT community because you probably they have a capital A when you say that word ally for yourself. So we really appreciate that. I will wear that with a badge of honor. And as, as the founder of Modern Husbands, we make it crystal clear we are an ally of the LGBTQ plus community. That's awesome. Very, very awesome. So if you're having finance discussions with some parents of trans children, that means you're having some very personal discussions with people because it's kind of hard to have be very superficial when you're trying to coach people with their finances, right? You need to get to know the nitty gritty. So can you give us an experience, uh, an understanding of what some of these parents are dealing with today, with especially with the, the, the negative rhetoric that we're hearing and all of politicization of what it means to be trans and a, a parent of a trans child today? Yeah, I, I think, you know, on one hand, I think that it is progress that more and more teens understand what trans means and that now that they understand it they can better understand themselves and and they can work towards becoming who they really are inside so that that is a positive but the the challenge that these folks face is that unfortunately politics has manifested into something far beyond you know like fiscal policy conversations it's it's really just this, unfortunately, kind of like this echo chamber in, you know, in one area of, of just like hate and fear because it, that emotion is driving votes or it's driving tribalism. And those parents and the kids feel it. They're not deaf. They're not blind. They can turn on television and they can see it. They can hear the kids in the background talking about it, kids whose parents maybe are you know, ignorant to, you know, what trans children what that even means. And their only 
exposure to that is from people who misportray it or unintentionally. And so there's that has, you know, created this kind of like environment of not just misunderstanding, but, you know, it's just kind of some anger, fear. And the worst is when, you know, they use religion as a weapon for moral judgment because the kids hear that too. So unfortunately, 15 year old children are in the crosshairs of political infighting because they can't defend themselves. And so that is, they are a tool of being teared because that is convenient for some political folks. It's interesting how when lack of information triggers fear, we oftentimes want to unload that fear onto someone else and make them fearful, right? And that's kind yeah. of the way I see things happening right now is, is you know, I, I when I was in college, I had a human studies class and we had a girl in our class who was relatively new to the United States from Pakistan. And I remember us having a discussion about homosexuality. And she said, I didn't know what that word was. I didn't know what gay or homosexual was until I moved to this country, because we don't have a word for that in our language. And we just don't, that word, we just don't talk about it. There's nothing, there's no way of discussing it because it's, we just don't use, have a word for it in our language. Obviously, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist there, but it's just not there. And I think that when we don't know about something and we hear about it, it can trigger these kind of responses of fear. And then we take it out on other people. And it's so sad that that's what we see happening today, that people who have no understanding or no experience or no desire to learn are then shifting that lack of, I'll just say ignorance, that ignorance into fear and then fear into political action or, or attacks on others. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is what my friends and their children are, are experiencing. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Do you and they think it's about protecting the children, like it's, it's being positioned by some? Or is it? do you think it's really about trying to gain votes and money and power? I would be speculating, but, you know, kind of like looking at it from a 50,000 foot view, if you're talking about something like this, that has very little impact on most people's lives, if at all, and making that the centerpiece of your political campaign, you have to ask yourself, well, if they want to talk about that, what don't they want to talk about? Right, because it, there must be some things they don't want to talk about that actually are meaningful to to everyday people, and perhaps their platform isn't in their best interest. Right, like actually having policies that help people. <laughs> you got it. I don't go down that path, but and I I wouldn't be surprised having to have real conversations with your children. Right, I think that parents, a lot of parents, especially parents who have been raised maybe in in families 
where they don't talk about sex or they don't talk about sexuality, they don't talk about gender or issues related to the LGBT community, especially, they don't want to talk to their children about it. And so they're scared to talk to their kids. And the easiest way to not have to deal with it is to say, it's not okay to talk about to my kids about it. So I don't have to explain to them. If they can't hear it at school, they can't hear it in the public, then then I don't have to explain to them what it is. So it's shirking responsibility, in my opinion. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. So can you share what the parents... You said, I'm sorry, well, you said earlier that the kids are kind of picking some of this rhetoric up. Do you have any sense of how the kids are feeling or their perspective on things, especially as we're heading into the election and it seems to be getting more and more tenuous? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can just share anecdotes that really stick out because this started like i want to say like four years ago maybe but it was around you know kind of like the 2020 election just things like hey what's in i know what your name is but what's in your pants like those are the kinds of comments that you know a middle schooler would say to another middle schooler in my experiences with with my friends and their kids the challenges are usually more difficult in dealing with the adult world. It seems like the, the the kids in most cases, particularly as they get into the high school years, the kids themselves aren't nearly as cruel as a group. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and where wow. I taught in that, that certain issue, I got like literally none of the kids care. Nobody said anything to the, to the trans child. They're like, okay, whatever. Yeah. That kid was not bullied by students. Wow. Kids um, in my school are vicious. <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to get over it. <laughs> that's progress if that's sort of the, the the norm, even if it's just an anomaly here and there. One of the kids in my class came out as gay and he had to change schools. It got so violent. Wow. Yes. Yeah, sample size. Well, sample size here, but where I taught, it was it was a, a very con, com, uh, conservative community and the, the students, nothing. Wow. Interesting. That is hard to wrap my head around. I wonder, that's great, but yeah, I wonder in general if that's because at that age, a lot of kids are looking for acceptance. They're looking for identity. They're looking for people to respect them as they are transitioning into being adults, right? And so they're looking mm-hmm. for, and they maybe have some compassion towards each other that as adults we don't have towards each other anymore. I guess, yeah, that's so. They're alone. If that's kind of the norm in schools across the country that's it's a little bit it of could be yeah and I'm, I'm just sharing what my experience has been with our parent group and, sure. and then my friend but i i always had a kind of a feeling of and, and i've acted on this feeling by intentionally sending our children up until a certain age now to get a typical high school but to do the most diverse environment possible because you typically you know, fear what you don't know mm-hmm. and if you grow up just knowing all different types of people than, you know, the, the garbage that you see about trans kids being, you know, possessed by the devil or, you know, all these crazy things that you see on some social media, the kids just kind of almost chuckle at it. Like that's stupid. You know, my friend, John's awesome. So I I do feel like that because there are more and more children that are coming out and the children around them know them, that there's a lot of shoulder shrugs. It's like, I'm hopeful that in 30 years, this all this hate will be flushed out yeah. or most of it. Yeah. 
Your lips to God's ears. Yes, exactly. You're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we often say. Like, if you look at uh, more and more studies, show that the younger generation tend to more than report being queer. If that trend continues, I mean, all, I think the last study we saw was about zillennials or centennials. I don't know what we're calling them, but the the youngest generation that, that they could survey reporting so many of them coming out as queer or identifying as queer, the odds are in our favor. And so, if that continues, like mm-hmm. to your point. Maybe all this will be erased because suddenly we have a much more understanding populace in the country that says that have known LGBTQ plus kids their whole lives if they're not LGBTQ plus themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. So let's dive into some of the finances about this. So it's it's expensive being a parent today already. I think the USDA, is it where the reports yeah. on the cost of, of raising a child is like over two hundred thousand dollars from yeah. the age of birth to, to eighteen. And I don't know how American families afford that, looking at wages and salaries. Uh, but then you add on those parents who have trans children, that must be exponentially more expensive because especially as you were saying before we started recording, some of the people that you're working with, they're sort of thinking that they might actually have to leave the state in which they currently reside. Moving is not cheap. So can you give us a kind of an understanding of what the costs are there? Yeah. Yeah. So that that study uh, from USD, USDA was it's 250 for middle income, but obviously it's it's all over the map depending on like where you live and in particular that if you feel it's necessary the, the cost of of education you know do you send them to private school college because that that figure does not include that yeah so for example if you're going to help your child go to college it's not include that yeah so you just kind of starting at the probably the best way to start is with my close friend when, you know, his, his child, you know, came out, you know, the, the first thing is when, when a child's 12, 13 or 14 years old, you know, as a parent, you just fear that they don't understand. That's it. Like that, at least from my friend's perspective, he looks at the world. Like I look at the world and my wife looks at the world. I, we don't care if our child's gay, trans, whatever. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter to us. And our kids know that they were Quaker. We did one of Ohio's first gay weddings. So it's just kind of like a part of who we are, but they're still like in the back of your mind, when a child says they're trans, you think as a parent, like, do you, do you know what that means? You know, you, you could be gay and, you know, maybe that could be because it's easier for a parent to understand what gay means. It's more being simply gay is, is like in society is far more understood. So there's that first challenge of like, is our child confused? Well, so the immediate cost is, you know, it's got, there's got to be, you know, psychological triage to make sure that child has all of the support that they need to work through whatever challenges a company being trans. And there's no playbook for this. You're not taught how to raise a trans child in school. And so my friend and his, and his wife decided, well, we just need to make sure that we turn it to experts. Well, so you have the cost of a, a weekly psychologist. If being trans comes with other challenges, the cost of anxiety medicine or depression medicine, or, you know, perhaps a treatment facility and, and insurance doesn't always cover that and nor does it cover it fully. So the, the cost of, for example, my buddies has a therapist for his child and they don't work with insurance. It's just easier for them. So they meet weekly and it's $175 a week. You know, well, you start to, you know, add that up, right? I mean, that, that, that adds up. And so you're, you're looking at a like significant car payment. That's a car payment therapy a month, right? A right. car payment. And that's not even like the medicine 
So, so you're looking at, you know, about $8,000 a year um, in therapy. You could be, you know, working through just, and I, I know it sounds silly, but just wardrobe changes. You know, my buddy had to have a wardrobe change. So it's, you know, a couple thousand dollars to completely have a different wardrobe. And then, you know, there are just the, the realities that come with raising the child on, on top of all that. But, but that's just when the child initially needs, you know, psychological support and needs the support that's necessary to wear what they feel comfortable wearing. Mm. And then it becomes more complicated if you live in a state like, like Tennessee. Because if they're in, unable to find the treatment that's necessary to provide, you know, gender affirming care, then, then they have to move. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstandings about what gender affirming care means. And of course, like some people like to scare the heck out of people and say, Oh, it means that you must have a sex change or you must do these physical things to your body. And that's not true. That's not what gender affirming care is it could be as simple as a puberty blocker or it could be as simple as you know essentially testosterone but you know that in order to do those things like my buddy and his wife were terrified any parent would be terrified that's not something anybody takes lightly so you know in their circumstance it wasn't until a year year and a half of, of therapy where multiple psychologists and a psychiatrist literally said to them it is dangerous for your child not to receive this treatment. Your child is depressed. Your child has suicidal ideations and it is dangerous for their life if you do not do something. So as a parent, you know, when you hear people say that and if they're meeting weekly with a psychologist, after about a year, they get to know them. And, you know, that in itself, that's expensive, right? So now you're talking about the idea of like, you know, these, you know, the drugs, the psych- psychiatric support, and then some States aren't allowing for that. So if let's say you live in using Tennessee as an example, if you've had somebody tell you that your child is at risk, if they don't have the, 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 the support they need, of course, you're going to look into moving if it's illegal to provide that support for your child. Where like mm-hmm. Florida, like the idea that you can, and, and I could be misinterpreting the law, but the idea that that, that could be abuse by supporting your child in that way. I can't wrap my mind around. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that a psychologist it could tell you that you must do this for the life to potentially save your child's life, and then the government is coming in saying, "Well, if you do that, we might take your child away." Right. I can't wrap my mind around that. What's a parent um, to do with that situation? <laughs> exactly. So then it's like, what are the options? Like the first option is if they're in a community where it's you know they're supportive, which like I said, it's becoming more and more common with at the ch- with children, other children supporting each other. There's obviously stray comments that are made that are hurtful. Then it's a matter of, okay, can I find like a way around the law so I don't have to move? Because moving, you know, the cost of moving is so, it's so high because it's not just the fact that you're moving. You have to change jobs. Mm-hmm. And if you have to change jobs and there's an immediate change, you might have to go to a job that's not as well paying. Perhaps you're like most of America and there's, you're a dual income household. You both have to find new jobs potentially. You are selling in a market right now as the moment we're recording this with the average 30 year fixed rate mortgage is around seven to 7.25%. So it's, it's not a good time to sell a home. You're, you, you could not. But, potentially not get what you wanted to get for it before. And then if you have to borrow on the other end, now you're really hurting. 
right? Because the timing of buying and selling a home is so critical to your personal finances. So much of it is luck. So if they're going through this right now, now, now it's really, really difficult. People keep talking about a recession as at the time that we're recording this, unemployment just hit 3.4%. So even though GDP is as high as it's ever been, even though our economic growth has outpaced the, the G7, the rest of the G7 at a greater degree since the 1960s, even though the inflation rates below 3%. <laughs> Somehow people think the economy is really bad right now. But as a result of like this manufactured fear, people think we might be going into recession. Right. And that could happen because so much of our economies pump through consumer sentiment. So what if we go into recession and you move? So mm-hmm. anyhow, I, I, I know that I'm, you know, kind of diving into like these ominous details and ways of thinking, but they're, they're the types of considerations that you have to make if you're going to literally pick up your roots and go somewhere else, not because of an opportunity that's important, but because you must do it for your child. So you have to seek out other opportunities. Right. Brian, it's very interesting. And as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm thinking to myself, absolutely, of course, the child needs some psychological care, but don't these parents sometimes need it too? I mean, a lot of stress. what's going on in their brains is probably they may need some help themselves to be able to wrap their head around how their lives are going to change. I know that when I came out, of course, my my mother immediately said, you're not going to blame me. This is not my fault. Oh, um, I'm wondering if that is if that is a common feeling that some of these parents are, are having as well is what did I do wrong? Is there something I've done is the environment I put my children in is something has something happened? Do these parents also themselves incur costs in trying to get themselves the help that they need to be good parents. Yeah. So I can only share like what my buddies have said. And uh, I mean, they, they don't think they've done something. They don't think there's something like wrong with their kid. Like, you know, it's just, you know, everybody has different challenges that, that they face. So yeah, it, it's more of a, yeah. So again, yeah, with them, it's not like, oh, I've done something wrong. It's more of just kind of like the dealing with family members who may not see the world as, as you see it. And having to have those conversations again, if it's a trans child, just you know, using pronouns like those are really important to them. The I think for parents, you know, there's a grieving period for my buddy. Like any picture of this child prior to you know coming out had to be you know deleted. So Brian, I I know when 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 I came out to my mom, my mom said, "This is not my fault. You're not going to blame this on me." And it makes me think that I'm not sure if other parents, parents of trans kids are feeling this. And do these parents themselves, are they incurring costs by the support that they need, right? Are they going to therapy? Are they, is there something that parents are, that need to, they need to also consider when they think about when this happens? That's a really great question. An important one for the listeners. I think first it's, heartbreaking to hear that that's how the reaction of your of your parent but that that's not the reaction that my friend gave or that the group that i'm in they don't think there's something like wrong with their kid you know they just they just know that it's something that they don't understand the there are support groups like p flag is a common support group you obviously have other support groups for men now 
it probably would be helpful for parents to see their therapist to understand it. My buddy did with his wife, but the, I think the biggest challenge that he went through that our listeners just need to brace themselves for if, if they have a trans kid that came out in the later years, which is at like 13, is those going to be like, a, there's going to be a grieving period because, you know, they, they will have a new name and their old name is there. It's called a dead name, which, you know, is obviously sounds like dark, but it's, it probably is the best way to describe it because they don't want people to be aware of their previous selves. You know, so the grieving period is, you know, when the child asks to have any past, you know, pictures just taken down from social media, past pictures before they're, you know, they came out taken off the walls, anything that could serve either as a reminder to them or as a clue to people who are new to your home that you were somebody else before, those have to be gone. So, you know, your child's not dead, obviously, but what your child, at least what you thought your child was, is gone. And those memories, those physical memories are, are, are gone. So, you know, with that, come, you know, that what's become common is that there's some grieving for parents. I was not aware of that. It makes sense, but I never considered that before. Yeah. I, I think I'm wondering, do you think that we'll get to a point where we'll be able to celebrate that whole experience of transition that it will be okay oh, for some individuals like a celebration of life right that it's it is 100% yeah. okay for you to to have experienced who you were and who you are now and that that we will I, that's i that would be my hope right is that I know this is I I'm I'm I, very probably utopian altruistic. I'm yeah. My shirt says optimist, <laughs> folks. For those of you who are listening, but wouldn't that be the that would be the perfect scenario? Is that when someone does decide this, that it doesn't have to be a I need to hide who I was. I don't want to see that, and that there can be this celebration that you have transitioned and you are who you are today because of the experiences that you have had in your life. And that's the, it's okay. I love that approach. I think if you're for our listeners, I don't know if there's a better way to turn what could be a challenging circumstance into a really positive one. I like it. Let's hope that happens. Yeah, exactly. So earlier you were talking about the, some of the financial unique categories that, uh, some of these parents are dealing with in terms of their finances, but you're coaching them as well. So what advice are you giving them to help navigate this? I mean, these are some considerable costs. I, I mean, people get very excited about the the the, the child credit, $2,000 child credit, right? <laughs> right. So if, but if, you're talking, if you're talking about like $8,000 in expenses, plus, I mean, that's I mean, I don't know where we would come up with $8,000 right now ourselves, right? That's, that's a whole different ballgame. Well, how are you helping your the people you're coaching with navigate this? I think just providing the information that I'm aware of and then helping them collect that information for them to decide what makes the most sense in their circumstances and for them to consider all of the different angles. So just not just the, the psychological costs of, you know, or the, the cost of uh, psychological support, psychiatric support, but also if you live in an area that's perhaps not supportive or if you're planning to go to college, if your child's going to go to college, 
there are significant safety concerns. So, you know, somebody who's trans is four times more likely to be uh, assaulted. That is, you know, a significant fear of these parents when their child goes, you know, away, or if they live in an area that's not accepting at all, they want to make sure that they, that can be changed. So there's costs that's associated with that. There's costs in college planning that's associated with that. And the idea that also the path from living at home and going away, whatever it may be, you know, a trade school, college, whatever it may be, that that path looks just like everybody else's is, is probably not right. You should probably recognize that there could be some turbulence and then you have to have a discussion of whether or not you're going to be the parents who, for whatever reason, once they graduate high school, they're like, okay, the <laughs> financial faucets are now turned off. Are you going to do that or are you going to continue to provide support? If so, what does that support look like? Because that pathway from childhood to adulthood is going to look or could look different. Sure. Are you encouraging them to maybe have create a bigger emergency savings account for any risks that might come along? Are you encouraging them to work more hours, start side hustles, maybe even get new jobs to generate more income or get better healthcare? The challenging problem for families who are not high income earners is that you have to be cautious about generating more income by working more because then you're away from the child more. So it's like this, you know, imagine a teeter totter where like on one hand you have financial support and the other hand you have emotional support. And if you don't make a ton of money, like, you know, obviously the more emotional support you provide, the less financial support you might be able to provide because you now cannot work extra hours or have a side hustle or vice versa. So a lot of it's dependent upon like that family's financial means, or it could be dependent upon the the marital or partnership circumstances. Perhaps like one of them could be the lead caregiver because the other one makes a significant amount of money. So they have they have to weigh that and they have to recognize that earning more income does not come is not an inconsequential thing. And I've always, you know, been an advocate of work for for children you know tracing back to my first job i think i was 11 or 12 i mowed lawns and loved it and a strategy that i've discussed with them is to take their earnings and open up a kitty ira custodial ira in part because if you start when you're 14 or 15 by the time your that child is 18 first that money does not count against you when you're applying for need-based aid because it's in technically a retirement fund. Whereas if that money was in a savings account, that, that child savings account, it counts against them at four times the rate as the parent savings account. So it's it it's a significant there's a significant disincentive. But what that can do is create kind of like this cushion for the child that's beyond a 529k that a parent might have, but a cushion for a child for them to decide what they want to do because it's a Roth, you can pull the money out that you've contributed without a penalty, not the earnings. But the beauty is that if you're 15 and contributing to a Roth, you're never going to really pay taxes because you're making less than the standard deduction. So it's not like you don't need the tax deduction. So it goes in basically tax-free, grows tax-free, pulled out tax-free. So that is a, a way to be able to put aside some money where they can kind of have their own journey, can afford their own journey. And a little a trick could be that the parent could still provide the, those earnings to the child 
So the, the, the pass through could be this. If let's say the child earns $3,000, they can put $3,000 in the, in the Roth. And then as parents, you can just say, here's the $3,000 you earned. Now, it not, I mean, obviously it comes down to, you know, what do you want to, te- what money lessons do you want to teach your child? Do you want them to learn the importance of investing and saving? I personally think that they should have money to spend if they've earned it. And so maybe you tell the child, you put the 3000 in the Roth, we'll give you 2500 So 500 of it has to be your money or whatever, whatever percentage you think is appropriate. So I bring that up because it's just a, a way to, I don't want to say hide money because it's not illegal, but you know, you start doing the math on a few thousand dollars at 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. I mean, that really adds up. And that buys you, you know, a, a significant cushion upon graduation to the, if you don't want to go to college right away, or even if you do go to college, you have some money that you can draw from that's not in a bucket that can be penalized for need based aid. Yeah. And I, I'll add, there are benefits if you're, if you are in, uh, a parent who is self employed employed or owns your own company and you can have your child work for you there's tax benefits where you're basically paying your child but it's looked at as not a income for them and then they can put it into an IRA i'm going to just say it these are loopholes right there's loopholes that any of yeah. us can can take advantage of you know even if your kid is only making 500 to 1000 dollars a year cuz they work for you for a couple of months in the summertime figure out what these are if you can um, employ them definitely employ them would you say this is one of the tactics that you are encouraging these parents to use when it comes to surgical costs? We know that most doctors are not encouraging individuals to go through surgical transition until typically until they're over the age of 18. Very rarely does it, the media on the right would have you believe otherwise, but typically we're not seeing these surgical transitions happening until after the child has reached the age of 18. Is this one way you're you're encouraging parents to help prepare their children financially to do this on, maybe on their own? So my, my advice has been just to be a really savvy consumer of understanding your health insurance options. So what's covered and what's not would vary from from plan to plan. And so they need to, when the, the time is right, you know, make sure that they've at least been considerate of different options. So one option could be that the child has their own health care. Like for example, with my child, my child, my oldest child works at Starbucks and his health care is awesome. I don't know. <laughs> like he's just a barista and it's unbelievable. Like I wish we had their health care, his health care. And, uh, you know, perhaps he's, he's on his own. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, everyone, your listeners are well aware that you can stay on your parents' plan until you're the age of 26 because of ACA. So maybe your health care already covers something like that. So it's not necessary. But just just to be for those parents when the time is right to be savvy and to, to find the right plan that fits for that for that child. Yeah, it makes sense. What more do you think our nation's leaders could do who have a genuine desire to help the trans community? What more could our leaders do to actually help the community? Uh, I know some of the resources we read preparing for this interview, they, a lot of families are talking about uh, relocation assistance to sort of, I guess, escape from the states that aren't very affirming to go to states that maybe are more, more affirming because there are several more, every, you can't go a week without reading a story about a parent or, or family who's trying to leave a state, especially Florida right now, and and trying to take their kids to more safer locations. And that is the million dollar question because it feels like that every time I see 
the current administration try to come up with a solution. It's like adding gas on a fire. And, and it almost like, it's just this, it's an, un, it's, it's an unbelievable, like, nonsensical, circular problem, fight. I wish I knew the answer to that. I think from my perspective, the only thing that could actually help would be is if our third branch of government, if the judicial branch continues to come through. So I, I, I want to say, please correct me if I'm wrong. It was one of the Southern states. I don't remember if it was Arkansas, Alabama. I know Florida for sure. Florida put a stop at one of the laws. There was a, ju- there was a judge there who did. And then it happened in another state. So what I'm reading is that a law's passed and then the courts intervene. And they'll just simply say, this is unconstitutional. I think I know what you're talking about. I feel like that was Alabama or Arkansas. It was an A. Yeah. And it wasn't Alaska. I think it was Arkansas. I think it was Alabama or Arkansas. One of those. And definitely Florida. Definitely Florida. There was a big one that passed in Florida. So I think like, you know, I believe in America and I believe that in a system where we have three branches of government, I'm really holding out hope that, that that branch of government is the one who can come in and swoop in and say, no, 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 no. This is what you're doing is political. This is unconstitutional. You can't do this. I, I feel like that that is the best hope for the trans community to get the support that they need. I probably didn't answer the question the way you want. I, I don't, <laughs> no. I don't know. Like, like every time it's just this, it, it's almost like it feels like if you're if, if politically supportive of the trans community, Every time I see them do something to help, I look at them and think, God, it's like you're, it's like you, you've got this shovel in quicksand and like, you're just, everything's just, you're going deeper and deeper, even though you're trying to be so supportive, it's getting harder and harder. It's getting more and more competitive and it's, it's a, it's a significant frustration. So I don't know if that would help or not. Obviously, financially providing relocation costs would be super helpful. But I don't, I don't know what that would look like. Right. That would be difficult. What's that? That would be a difficult, I agree with you. I think it would make things very contentious. And I think it might be more difficult to manage something like that than, than we think just because of the uniqueness of every single situation. Right. So let's tackle a little bit. You want to tell us a little bit, since part of the commitment of the Modern Husbands is to be uh, capital A allies, can you tell us a little bit about Modern Husbands and the purpose behind that? Yeah, I, you know, I decided that I would stay home and, and, and support my family's needs. Gosh, was it a year and a half ago now? It would have been almost, yeah, about a year and a half ago because of just a number of circumstances that we, we just needed really one of us to be flexible in their careers. And I followed my wife in her career when she earned another promotion and left teaching to move to Atlanta. And what our family needed was just at least one of us to be flexible. So I I Googled like how to be a great husband, something to that (laughs) sense, because uh, full disclaimer here, I was a terrible husband. I worked like 80 hours a week for the first like 15 years of our marriage. I'm just the typical protector provider kind of like mentality where I was clearly the breadwinner and, you know, my head was down and I was focused on my career. And when it came to parenting, obviously um, I enjoyed parenting. I enjoyed the sports element. I enjoyed being at their activities. Did I do their laundry? Did I 
you know, make meals. I didn't do any of that. I was terrible. But then we, you know, kind of flip-flopped. So it's now it's like, okay, I'm going to, I want to do what we went from having, doing that to having some balance, which is really good. And then, and then now it's like, I do like 80% of it, which is great too. And so I just Googled like how to be a great husband, something to that degree. And a bunch of stuff came up on the first Google page of like how to cheat on your wife and get away with it. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, wow. I'm, thinking, I'm, gas. <laughs> I'm just looking for ideas, you know, like how to manage the house. And, and obviously my money, my, my background is money, right? So I instantly gravitated towards, you know, creating this community where understanding that money is a leading cause of, of divorce. It's a leading cause of friction in a relationship. I pulled together an advisory board, which I'm so proud that you two are on full of experts that are in the, in the world of money and understand the relationship between partnerships and marriages and money and decided, you know what? I want to provide support to the 21st century home. Most homes are dual income homes and 45% of homes, a woman earns the same, if not more than their husband and recognizing that in a 21st century work world that we have uh, many homes that are still in a 20th century model that that was creating problems in marriages, problems because of an unfair division of labor, oftentimes shouldered by women and an understand a lack of understanding of how to talk about money and use money as a tool to make you happier in your marriage rather than a weapon that leads to conflict. And so we decided let's, let's create this community at Modern Husbands to do this. And I wanted to make it very clear because there's like a lot of husband support systems. And, and it, I, this wasn't a political statement. I've not talked about politics at all up until this point. And I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be completely neutral. Modern Husbands is 100% neutral, but I don't see like, being a capital A ally is political. I see it as a human being issue. I feel like that the LBGTQ community is under attack and that our responsibility is to support every human being. I don't think that's political. I just think that's being a, a human being. And so like that's our value set. So we make it very clear on our website that that's how we see the world and we're an ally with capital A. And so when I say modern husbands, frankly, the reason it's not called modern partnerships is because like half of America doesn't understand what a partnership is. They think of a business partnership. So you can say a marriage and then half of America that doesn't, or the percentage of America that doesn't believe in marriage and they just recognize it as partnership. They know what you mean. But so we make that clear on our website. This is partnerships. This is marriages. This is all folks, husbands and husbands, husbands and wives, et cetera. And how is it that we can provide you all with resources to make sure that you're managing money in the home in a way that leads to a happier marriage? So that's that's the background of what we're doing. We have a podcast, a Modern Husbands podcast website. We have little micro courses to try to provide uh, that support. Awesome. Nice. Very awesome. And thank you for all the work that you you and Modern Husbands does for the LGBTQ plus community, especially the trans community. As I think it's pretty fascinating and, and and inspiring that you're helping coach some of these families navigate the, the finances of of having uh, trans children. There's a much needed market out there for that, <laughs> so hopefully that can spread to to more people. Because I'm sure from what we've read that that's that's definitely needed. That being said, how can our audiences connect with you and Modern Husbands? 
If you go to modernhusbands.com, you'll see we have a podcast that we release every week. Please subscribe. And in the first, the first podcast episode you need to go to is the one that we had with you too. It was great. It was a fan, <laughs> fan favorite. And then we have a newsletter and we only send out an email communication once every two weeks. So subscribe to our newsletter. And then we're on all the social media channels. We try to, in, in addition to informing folks and, and helping folks throw in some some marriage humor, dad jokes, those those types of things. We like people to, to laugh. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for coming on the show and for giving us an insight of uh, a unique topic that I don't think there's not enough information about right now. So uh, thank you very much for that. Thanks for having me. It was an honor to be here. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Brian, for a great interview, for giving us a glimpse into the lives of parents of trans kids in America today. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us for another episode. Remember to get your queer money takeaway from this episode in this week's newsletter, as well as information on how you can connect with Brian and Modern Husbands and your tip for reaching financial independence faster. Get all of that by signing up with the link in your podcast player. Then join us this Thursday when we cover the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in in Iowa. And next Tuesday, when we cover another important investing topic. Thank you and have an amazing week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.